0: Hey everyone, this is Darren. I just wanted to start things off today with a quick thank you to everyone who's been listening to the Child Walks in the Dark podcast. It has been a lot of fun to have these conversations. Uh, And for those of you that don't know, uh, Child Walks in the Dark is actually a collection of poetry as well, and is available as of today uh, from Harbor Editions from their website. Uh, So if you've got the time and inclination and want a little extra poetry in your life, uh, if you're liking the podcast, Uh, Go ahead and get a copy today. Thank you, everybody.
1: Welcome to A Child Walks in the Dark, a podcast hosted by award-winning poet and author, Darren C. Demery. Each week, Darren and a series of other parents and creative careers join up to discuss a different theme or challenge to raising children. Their joy, their narrative and languages, their lineage and authorships, their small towns and cities and hopes, their communities and efforts to save and be saved. Each episode explores the role of a creative person as a parent as they attempt to navigate the world their young people are growing into. This week's episode is The Words Again, and our guest is Katie Manning. Katie Manning is the author of Tasty Other, Main Street Rag Poetry Book Award 2016, and Five Poetry chapbooks. most recently, 28,065 Nights, River Glass Poetry Books 2020. She has received the NASA Review Author Award for Poetry, and her writing has been published in American Journal of Nursing, New Letters, Poet Lore, Ruminate, Stirring, Thimble, Thrush, First Daily, and many other journals and anthologies. She is a professor of writing at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego, and she enjoys beaches, board games, books, brownies, and alliteration. Now, the words again with Darren and Katie Manning.
0: Uh, and as promised with us today is poet, professor, uh, and, and parent, Katie Manning, um, and, and you told me recently that you've been working on, on linguistics on a professional level. So today's topic of how language develops with children and how um, that sort of goes back and forth from, from them creating sounds and putting words together and trying to assign those words to things, and then us translating, uh, and then going all the way back to them. And that's, that's the, the, the title of this episode is Their Words Again. So there's an entire relationship between the way they, use, they want to use language and the way we use language. And it sort of ebbs and flows back and forth. What, when you think about your studies as a professional and then your time spent with your children, how does that all interplay?
2: Yeah, so um, I always tell my students when I teach intro to linguistics, I don't make any claim of being a linguist, but I am a poet who loves linguistics. And I did study linguistics in grad school. Um, It was one of my minor areas in my PhD program. So I did a monstrous exam in linguistics and and I love to teach the intro class. Um, And one of my very favorite things to teach is language acquisition and to talk about you know, how children develop language from earliest infancy and then how that develops over time. So um, I use my kids as examples a lot (laughs) because it's impossible not to when we're talking about, you know, how they're acquiring sounds and how they're going through the different phases. so, and it's, it's delightful how organic that is in the classroom to come up with those examples. I don't necessarily prepare them, um, but, you know, and, and sometimes I'm pulling examples from my little sister because I'm nine years older than her. So I'll talk about how she used language when she was small or, um, so I, I really love that about the way that my, I guess the way that my professional study of linguistics and my teaching of linguistics just very naturally kind of forces me to (laughs) include my children and welcomes me to include my children. Um, Yeah,
0: definitely. And it makes sense Uh, at, at, at what point as, as their language skills are developing and their narrative skills are developing and we're talking, so your, your son's already written a book of poetry and I, I was told the, the book launch was a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. Yeah. Uh, and wow. how, as someone who's who's made a career out of this, how do you approach someone who's already um, approaching language with that kind of live mind, that kind of uh, experiential sort of thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, my, my Elliot, who is, he just turned 10, um he has just always been so creative with his language use I when he was tiny I mean he couldn't have been two yet and he was like laying on the changing table and he reached up like he was reaching for the light and he said chocolate light and I was like what (laughs) I mean he just he from a very young age he was so creative with the way that he used language um One of my favorite things that he said when I think he was about two, um, he might have been almost three. He wanted to weigh himself and he didn't know the word for scales. And so he was like, mommy, I want the clock that tells me how much I am big. (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) So so, I mean, I think for a long time, he's just been someone who, you know, kind of has that ability to play with language or use language in sort of a flexible way. And I think most kids are. Um, And so my Elliot just happens to have a mom who is a poet. And he had a teacher last year, who did this amazing poetry unit. Um, And so, you know, every day of April, she had them writing a different form. And Elliot is the sort of child who just really was ex- excited about this. And he wrote every poem around the, the theme of Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild.
0: That's fantastic.
2: Which is his, you know, one of his very favorite video games. So once he completed all of that, he knew that I had published a chapbook last year and he had read a poem as a, like a starting poem for my chapbook release. And he thought that a chat book release party seemed like a really fun thing. And he kind of wanted everybody to show up on Zoom and hear him read poems. Um, so he was asking me, you know, could we publish my chat book? I have this chat book of Zelda poems. Um, and I had been wanting to learn how to use InDesign. So I, I hired one of my former students who needed a job. Um, and so everybody was happy. <laughs> and I got to learn InDesign. Elliot got a book. Um, And and it is, I mean, obviously, I'm his mom. So I know I'm not the most objective person. But there are moments in his poetry that are startling to me, like the way he's using language. I'm like, ooh, there's one poem where he's talking about this creature that's sort of the skeletal dinosaur kind of creature. And he describes it and says "moon bones planet eye," and I was just wow. like, "What?" <laughs> like, it was it was amazing to me the the kinds of things he was coming up with. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I feel sort of you know humbled by his, the way that he uses language so creatively. Yeah.
0: Now let me. Let we're gonna we're, small tangent here. You are a poet and the way you talk about poetry, uh, and, and, I've, I've, I've read some of the things you've written and, and heard you talk about poetry before. How does your son, how does Eliot talk about poetry differently than you? How does he sort of contextualize his own, the Zelda poems?
2: So I think for him, you know, because he was learning poetry, um, in this sort of, you know, here are these different forms or here are these different, Um, they were trying out different sorts of, I guess, you know, figurative language or other tools of poetry um, on each day. So I think for him, he thinks of starting a poem as, you know, you start with, okay, I'm going to write a poem that is an acrostic poem, or I'm going to write you know, a poem that uses alliteration, or that uses metaphor. So he's, he's still in that kind of mode, I think, of starting with the, the form that's going to help you generate whatever it is that you're going to write about. Um, But I think, I I don't know, in some ways, you know, I'm, I'm someone who writes in projects a lot. And I think that I probably passed that to him.
0: (laughs) He's like, all these poems and all these forms, Zelda.
2: It's like, oh, okay, we're gonna write all the poems about this one thing that we're really interested in right now. And that's gonna make it, you know, be a book when we get to the end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, so it, it is really interesting. Um, he he picked up, I mean, he's just so far ahead of where I was. <laughs> like there are things that I'm like, how do you, he was interested in revising poems in a way that I was like, I didn't get there until, shoot, the end of college. <laughs> I was yes. like, this is how it came out. It's beautiful. I don't want to change it. And he he would go back in and revise things and, you know, was just really open to the idea of, yeah, we could, you know, like he could find a better word for this. Or he'd go in and and cut lines. And I was just like, what? How do you, like, this yeah, is
0: not a skill. I've, I've gone into of to dozens of elementary school classes. I've talked to like individual uh like poetry clubs at elementary schools. Not one of those little little poets has ever been like, I want to take another crack at this one. So that's yeah, that's great.
2: Yeah. I know. So he he really is just working in a different way than than I did when I was his age. Um and you know, than I did when I was twice his age. <laughs> so. just it's he really he amazes me in his ability to be creative um and I see him do it with visual art too he'll draw something and then he'll draw another draft of it you know and make it better and he'll you know so he he has he's got whatever that artistic impulse is to you know to keep going and to keep making something more like he wants it to be or to improve upon what he's done um it's amazing. Right. I like
0: I, I, I learned from that. Yeah. And I, I think as parents, that's that's one of the fun parts is to let them use the language they want to use. And they're not they're not turning in essays when they're five and six and seven. So let it be playful. Let it be a little bit wrong. Um, let them hear the way that you talk about things. And you know, nobody nobody uses the Queen's English anymore. We're all speaking in vernacular. We're all using different versions of slang. You and I are of the age. I'm sure we still, we still got some nineties slang slipping in occasionally. As um, if. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, when, when language is mostly auditory for them, it's, it's even more of a back and forth. We all have um, conversational styles that play into the way language develops. I am, and I am on, and it's, this is, befitting of on on a podcast but I am unable to not speak in a call and response form someone says something it's a great point I'm not trying to interrupt I'm just saying yeah that's good okay and I I just the back and forth of it um and all those sort of techniques when you're studying fiction and narrative and different things like that um it becomes part of the training of these of these young people as they're trying to develop their own language and have it change and modify and you know, every year comes with uh, new phrases and new learning, and it's 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 fascinating to, to see that develop. Um, what do you what do you think when we talk about storytelling with the kids and the way that they tell stories? How how have you seen that develop in 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 your kids?
2: Well, let me start with. You were talking about the call and response pattern. And that's one of my favorite things that we talk about in intro to linguistics, because when kids are acquiring language, they acquire the back and forth pattern of conversation before they have anything to say <laughs> from from the cooing stage. And when they're babbling and we do it with them, we'll say something and then pause and wait for a baby to or babble or, you know, and so, so it's amazing to me that that's one of the, one of the things that we learn from such an early age is that back and forth, that way of responding to another person. Um, And I, so I'm thinking now, I haven't really thought about this before, but I'm thinking of the way that that relates to storytelling um, and the way that children, I mean, sometimes my kids do sort of go wild and, you know, rattle off things. And I wonder if they are aware of whether or not I'm listening to them, (laughs) but they are. Because if I'm distracted by anything, I get the mom, 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 mom. So, so there is something about just the, regardless of the content or the words they're using, there's something about the connection with another person and that desire for a response. Um, that I think is present in any conversation or in any storytelling. Like we want somebody to be on the other side going, yeah, (laughs) or, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. You know, that we want some kind of sense that our, you know, our message is being received. Um, My kids are are avid storytellers and we actually, from a pretty young age with both of them, um, I've done a lot of storytelling with them before bed. And so we'll do collaborative stories sometimes where we'll take turns with, you know, one of us will start the story and then we'll kind of just pause and tap the other person and we'll keep going and we'll make up these wild stories, usually about a little boy. Often it's a little boy who has um, as a first name, the middle name of whichever child I'm (laughs) with. So it's a little bit of an alter ego for this, for my child, but. Yeah, so, so I think that's, I guess, I I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but I think for the way that I see my kids using storytelling, um, a lot of it is about relationship um, and and connection and getting some kind of response uh, with the language that they're using.
0: My, my middle child, my son is nine. And he, wants, he has trouble going to sleep out of, out of the three of them. The girls normally don't have any trouble. Um, but the two kinds of stories Thomas always asked me to tell are one, tell me a story about when you won something or where you had a great day. And then the other one is tell me a story when you got in trouble. <laughs> and it's almost, it, 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 it finds a way to sort of calm him down to laugh a little bit about when I made a mistake when I was a little kid or when I was in high school or even college. And that's, that's really the parts of me he's most interested in. He sees the books and he sees different things like that. And so he thinks I can do some things, but he's also heard a lot of stories from grandmas and grandpas about, well, you know, when, when your dad was your age, he did this thing. And that, those two sort of pull, you know, pulls to it, are what he's most interested in, um, and and that makes sense to me. It makes sense that as he's trying to talk about himself in ways he sees a, a fair amount of black and white in in his day to day of, you know, well, it was a good day, it was a bad day. And as adults, there are so many points during the day where it has been a, a that's a that's a great moment, and that's a bad moment, and it sort of goes up and down all day. Um, But I think it is, I think it's a calming thing when we visit storytelling and language with our kids, when they're experiencing it in a way that is not just a little bit illuminating or entertaining, but in a way that grounds the the parent as relatable to them. Uh, And then you get the other side of it where they want, you know, dragon stories. And I want a story about a pink deer that took over a castle and could also use a sword. <laughs> like okay, <laughs> yeah. let's do it. Um, yeah, but it's ways- fascinating to me, yeah.
2: Oh, my boys also love hearing stories about when they were babies or when they were toddlers, the stuff that they can't remember. Mm-hmm. And even stuff that they've heard before, they will like me to retell those stories. And they do also love it when I tell them stuff about when I was little. Um, and when when they were tiny, they, especially Julian, loved to hear the story of when he was born. Oh, okay. And I, I told him, I don't know why we even started this, but so many times I would tell him the story of how he was born, how I found out I had to go to the hospital and like what happened when I was at the hospital. And I told him this. First. And he he was young enough that he started trying to tell the story, but he didn't have the ability to switch the pronouns
0: Oh, okay so he would
2: tell me the story but it was like I was the one growing in his tummy like when you were a tiny baby you <laughs> were growing in my sure. tummy and then he'd tell me the whole story and it was so great but yeah, yeah it's, I... it's amazing the kinds of things that they that they request and the kinds of things yeah that they find comfort in or that they're fascinated by
0: Sure. Well, origin stories are the best superhero stories there are. So they want yes. to know. And that's sort of how they view themselves. I always get a lot of, um, tell me about the when the doctors f- forgot about you. Because when my oldest daughter was born, and you're milling about in the hallway before the <laughs> surgery, they forgot about me. And so I, I didn't know that until the birth of child number two, when I was in there way earlier than I was the first time. So oh. I'll get asked, well, tell the story of when the doctors forgot about you and while Belle was being born. (laughs) Like, yeah, okay, sure, we can do that. That's funny.
2: Darren, something that that is interesting to me on the subject of storytelling and then language use that I think you'll find interesting, and I think it also connects to the poem that is sort of central to this episode. um, My oldest child was telling me a story, and this is how I found out that he knew a swear word but didn't know it was a swear word okay Um, he was telling me this elaborate story that he was making up that included a wizard and the wizard had some kind of staff with like an orb on it and the wizard broke his staff and he said damn and you know went on and he just you know he was probably i think elliot was probably eight at the time and he just went on and i was like wait elliot what did the wizard say he was like, oh, he broke his staff. And he said, damn. And he just went on. And I was like, whoa. At I, I, first, I just wasn't really aware that he was familiar with that word. And also, he just had no guile about say you know it was just there's no
0: malice mind. to it there was no negative yeah. connotation he just he said that's Damn. what you
2: say yeah. when you're a wizard who breaks your staff you know like i think
0: he was i think he was right on i think that was oh, no. the right it was, word
2: appropriate use of the word yeah. you know um yeah. we, so but we, we have, did have a conversation about uh, this is probably not a word that you want to like say at school if you break something or <laughs> this yeah. is a word that other people think is you know kind of a a strong use of language that they might be startled if a little kid uses this word.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were, we were having dinner maybe a couple of years ago. Thomas was seven. And he said that he knew what the S word was. Oh. And we, oh, okay. Well, you can, why don't you tell us what you think it is? And he said, stupid. We're like, yeah, okay. You should not call people stupid. You're right. And he, it, we, we got lured in because he said, well, I know what the F word is. we oh, okay, sure, buddy. What, what do you think it is? And he goes, fuck. Oh, okay. Well, all right. So you got that one. Um, we do not use that word. Uh, and I took, it, I took advantage. And this is where the, uh, the literary punishments begin, where I said, you can't use that word. And they have opened up my books enough that they have seen some of these words. And my explanation was, yes, I use those words when it's the right word to use. So Mm -hmm. if you ever want to use one of those words and you can demonstrate to me in a one page paper, why you chose to use that word, then I will allow it. And there will be no comeuppance, no punishment. You won't lose screen time. None of those things. And being, uh, 10 and seven at the time the two oldest children went nah this is not worth it <laughs> it's not worth the effort you know i'll, I'll find other words to use so that the the winding scenarios of profanity and how it develops but it's fascinating to see and i remember using those words when i was a child just to get the eyes to open up from your friends because you're like i know this word that maybe you don't know powerful word oh yeah And you just sort of use them without context and without knowing what they mean. Uh, And it's, I I remember several teachers sort of giving me a wide enough berth to be like, okay, we're going to talk through the language of this. And it became for me uh, a a discovery place, it became a way to to learn about uh, how to use other words, how to pick and choose, how to strategize. And then as you become a writer, you know, you can't use, them, can't use them all the time or they don't have as much meaning. Yeah. Um, not that it's still not fun. When, when I am not at work or around my children, there is more profanity. Just it's a, it's a natural state for me. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. Um, <laughs> sorry, in-laws, babies. You're wonderful people. I love you. Um, it's, <laughs> I don't know. But it's, it's fascinating to see how they experience it and how how it, how it develops.
2: Yeah. And I think for me, I didn't, I didn't have a nuanced conversation when I was young about, you know, my own language use. It was just, these are words that are forbidden. Um, and so, so I've tried to be more deliberate with my boys and we, with Elliot, you know, just, just a few months ago, we had a conversation because he came home from school and he was like, you know, someone, uh, said the A word at school today. And I was like, they said the word? And he was like, no, they said the A word. And he was like, mom, I don't know an A word that's a bad word. Like, what what would that word be? (laughs) And then he was like, is there a B word? Is there a word for every letter?
0: (laughs) Is there a C word? What about the D word? Yeah,
2: so he was. So then we talked about, we talked about, we had a whole thorough conversation about what words are considered bad words. And that there are some words that are bad words that are more, you know, like potty sorts of words or, you know, and that people say them when they're angry or hurt or whatever, but then there are some words that are harmful to other people that are words that are really meant to degrade someone else or to say like this person isn't as good as another person or this yeah, group mean
0: words people. lots of conversations yeah. about words that make people feel bad yeah yeah and
2: so we talked about having a distinction between those that like there are these words that like you know, if you drop one of these words, like you probably are going to get in trouble at school. You probably shouldn't say this around grandma and grandpa. Like, don't say that. (laughs) Like, it's probably better just not to say those words because then you'll accidentally slip and say them in a situation when you shouldn't. And I'm, and I told him like, I'm not allergic to these words. Like, I'm not really upset to hear you say it just if we're talking about it or, you know, most of the time I don't want to just hear my small child shout, you know, damn, but still it's like, But, but so we had this whole conversation and, you know, and we, and he knows some like racial slurs we've talked about. He's, he's been to black lives matter protests with us. So like, he's, he's got some familiarity with, with Mm -hmm. some other kinds of language. Um, but, but we got to the end of that conversation and he was like, mom, I think the worst bad word is idiot. And I was like, you know. I I think you're onto something like if somebody just looked at me and very seriously called me an idiot that's
0: there's cruelty to that word that makes sense
2: yeah like that that would make me feel pretty awful so yeah I was like I I feel and and I think for him that that would feel like one of the worst bad words to be called so um yeah it was it was a fascinating conversation and I feel like I wish I had had that conversation when I was younger. I wish it hadn't just been a, these are forbidden words. We don't say them. Um, so it felt good to be able to have more of a nuanced conversation with my kid about why do we not say some of these words? Why, you know, why do we give them the power that they have? Um, so, yeah. Well, I know,
0: I know not, Having a, having a creative parent is not 100% an awesome thing, but one, one of the ways in which it is a good thing is it, when they're experimenting with language in any way, we're just curious to see how they're doing it and how they're experiencing it and how they're going through um, that process of sort of ricocheting off what they learned in school, what they learned from us. Um, I remember um, that sort of nebulous gray area between school and home, being where so many of the learning experiences happened with language. Some of it was profanity. Some of it was being called names. Some of it was that kind of thing. And it just, it became a place where you're trying in your safe places at school and at home to experiment in the ways you're being shown how language is being used. And there's rough patches to that. Uh, And if, if you're given a blanket no, if you're given uh, immediate punishment for using a word for the first time, that's, that's gotta be hard. That's gotta be difficult to go through, uh, for a young person.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, certainly.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I to to get a talk to a, a, a linguist about the way he cho- and the fact that you get to bring them in and those, those experiences to, to a college setting, um, I imagine that gives your students a fair amount of freedom to do their own experimenting and to, to sort of see how the process develops in a, in a personal way. Um, because some of those things aren't intuitive, the way language develops.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think it, I hope I make it fun for my students. And I think I do. Um, I've, I've tried to create the class in a way that, um, you know, linguistics is, it's a different field of study. So if you've been studying English and you suddenly come into a linguistics class and you're expecting like, oh, this is another English class. I I welcome students in and I say, you know, this class is going to feel like you're taking a math course in a language you haven't studied yet. (laughs) Like you come in and we're learning the International Phonetic Alphabet. And then we get into phonology and morphology and we're looking at examples of language and trying to find patterns and how the language works. And um, so it's just, it's a lot. And so I think anything that I can do to help it feel really practical and also um, fun, I, I have the students do a uh, a language cartoon right after the midterm. So they're creating one of those kind of, their textbook does this at the beginning of each chapter. Mm -hmm. I call it a nerdy language cartoon. (laughs) Because they're so dorky. They're so, you know, it's punny, silly. Um, One of my favorites this year was, it's the the meme of the two Spider-Men pointing at each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them has an N and one of them has an Angma and they're like sounds that are really close to each other in IPA. Um, and they've got those on their chest and they're pointing at each other and it was hilarious. so so I think those things and and sometimes the students will bring in examples of like this is a way that my roommate talks when we're talking about different dialects or this is how my little sibling you know talks or this is something that that they did when they were you know developing language. so um, so it is I, I think that because, I'm able to bring in examples of my children so frequently, even from the, the earliest days of just the small sound pieces. Um, my students seem to feel really free to bring in those examples from their own lives too. Um, and it does, it really does make the study of language fun when we get to kind of keep connecting with it in a personal way.
0: Well, and I'm I'm sure for the students, any anytime a, a word nerd like yourself or myself really gets into it, there's a there's a kind of excitement that you hope you hope carries over and uh I'm 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 real happy your students get to have you and I'm I'm real happy that your boys get to have that sort of uh sounding board and get to experience uh, all those different things as they're developing and as they figure out a, a shorthand for s- social situations and a long hand for academic and creative work and how that all bangs off each other and it's it's exciting. I'm 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 excited uh, that you're getting to experience it this way and your boys, especially. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to, to, to thank you for joining me today and, and, and thank you to, uh, Emily Caldwell for recording the introduction and for the band pagination for the intro and outro music. Uh, we will be back again next week with another episode. Thank you, Katie.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Their words again. I told my children the words again that I could tell them, which was all the words, including the profanity, which can be like a deep fucking breath when you need it to be. And they had no interest in those words or in most of my words, but they could tell I was trying to give them a gift. And they remembered how much time I took trying to give it to them. And then I was done. And nobody could tell anybody anything anymore, but we loved each other, and that you can really explain in a primary colors sort of way. And they knew the darkness and the light, and they jumped rope with that, with an agility I've never found. They weren't shocked or hopeful, they just made a path towards the best ending they could. They moved forward with their bodies, with their hearts, with their songs. They sang out loud all the time.